He's a creator, an innovator. His passion is why we listen. His knowledge is why we want to be educated. He really has spent his life focusing on people that make excuses. With a man who has turned around over 800 bars throughout the world, Bar Rescue's John Taffer. If you do tomorrow what you did today, you will get tomorrow what you got today. All righty, here we go. I'm John Taffer. <laughs> but you probably knew that. And this is my No Excuses podcast. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. I hope you had a great time. I did. I got to go hang out with my daughter, Samantha, her husband, Cody. Nicole and I flew out and got to hang out with my grandson, Rhett, which is amazingly cool. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing to have a kid. You never quite think that having a grandchild could be as emotional as it could relating to having a kid, but in fact it is. And, and boy, I got a great little grandson. I think we posted some pictures online if anybody wants to see little Rhett, but he's quite a guy. So it was cool. We got to fly out uh, uh, to Kentucky have Thanksgiving dinner with Sam, then fly back. And I am actually talking to you right now, if you can picture this, in my bus in the Palm Springs area where I have a place down here where I park my bus sometimes and come hang out. So I'm hanging out here with Nicole, doing my podcast with you guys, and uh, uh, just thinking about what could we do that would be special to end this podcast for this year. You know, it's been almost two years that we've been doing this podcast. We've had millions and millions of downloads. But to me, the favorite part of this podcast, other than audience calls, which I love, is interviews. And we've had the chance to interview rock stars. We've interviewed entertainment leaders, comedians, actors, political leaders, medical professionals, uh, uh, trendists, all sorts of people. And, you know, whenever we've done interviews, you know, I've always tried to focus on what is it that makes somebody succeed? What is it that provided that inspiration, that spark? What is it that made them move up above the crowd, whether it's higher, faster, or farther than other people ever had? And through these interviews, I have learned so much from talking to different people. So what I wanted to do for these last few podcasts, and I think this is pretty cool, is I really wanted to pull out what I think was some of my best conversations, not rebroadcast the podcast and not do a clip show, Taffer's Best, not doing that, but actually saying who were the most meaningful interviews and what were the most meaningful moments of those interviews? You know, what were... What was the spark of inspiration? What is the tidbits of knowledge? What is it the things that maybe we could think about as our year finishes up? Because what are the things that maybe you didn't accomplish this year? Thinking about what you did, putting that aside for a moment. What didn't you accomplish that you wanted to? What were the goals that you didn't meet? Because most of the interviews that we had in the past couple years were with people who achieved something special. And what did we not achieve special this year that maybe we could have? And I was thinking a lot about that. So I thought to myself, who are some of the most inspiring, some of the most fun interviews that we've had that actually would leave somebody thinking about some thoughts that would be meaningful for your end of the year? So we're starting this with, you ready? <laughs> Barstool throwback. So a while back, I had Dave Portnoy, president of Barstool. We all know El Presidente. And Big Cat, Dan Katz, on this podcast. And it got a little crazy, but we got to talk about their beginnings and how they got to where they are and what inspired them. And, you know, as we approach the end of the year, we can learn a lot from the inspirational and the big decisions and sacrifices and choices that people like this have made. So 
when we get going on this for the next few days, what we're going to do, next few podcasts, I should say, is we're going to have a few special moments with a few special guests in each podcast as we finish up the year. You're not going to want to miss this. So this starts it all off with, you ready? Barstool throwback. So let's start with Dave Portnoy for a minute. So Dave and I are buddies. A lot of people don't know this story. When I met Dave Portnoy, I really didn't know Dave very well. I knew Dan Katz, Big Cat. And this is eight years ago or so, before Barstool was very popular. Uh, uh, It wasn't nearly as big as it is today. And Bar Rescue was really just sort of starting out. So I was maybe a little famous, but certainly uh, not like I am eight years after being on television. It was my first year. So so we decided that we were going to do blog shutdown or blog rescue, forgive me. So we went to a place I know in L.A., and we shot something, and if you've never seen it, it's freaking hysterical. It's on a Barstool site, and it's called Blog Rescue, and you'll see myself, Dave Portnoy, and Dan Katz about seven years ago, maybe, doing this bit where I beat the hell out of them for blogging about Justin Bieber all day long. We did that, and then I had a hamburger cook-off where I put the two of them in the kitchen, and I had Portnoy compete against Big Cat for making burgers and making cocktails. Well, it was an amazing few days, but it began my relationship with both Dave and Dan, which seven, eight years later now is as strong as it's ever been. And, you know, whenever I'm in New York, I always stop by Barstool. We did Big Brain together uh, this year. Uh, um, I do KFC, you know, I, the show, I, I, I uh, try to do whatever I can with them any chance I get because they're just great guys and really, really good friends. But there's another side to Dave Portnoy than Dave Pizza Review, Dave Crazy, Dave Fighting with the NFL, Dave being Mr. Barstool. There's a side to Dave that's amazingly entrepreneurial when he started Barstool, how he got going, what choices he made, how hard it was for him to get it to the point that he did. And then when he took an equity transaction, how he became a millionaire and how that transition from fighting in the subways at five in the morning in Boston to being a millionaire and so successful has impacted him. It was a very, very powerful interview. And I wanted you guys to hear a few minutes of it. So let's listen to Dave Portnoy talking about, not Barstool, but talking about Dave Portnoy. You don't realize how much you blew me away. And, and you know how much of a model you are for so many people that are trying to get into the media business, Dave. And I want people to know your personal story, not just about Barstool Sports. And I know you started in University of Michigan. And, yep. and, and I believe what, because of your sister, you went there, right? Yeah. So my sister was a senior when I was a freshman. I'd visit her when I was high school. And as a high school student's prone to do, you love the place. So I applied to a liberal arts school, actually got denied. They said, nope, you're not accepted here. For whatever reason, though, they said, we think you'd be a great nurse. And if you want to come to the nursing school, you can't. So I said, I called up my sister Leslie. I said, hey, I've been accepted to the nursing program. I don't really know what this means. I know I don't want to be a nurse. I pass out when I see blood. But if I go there for a semester, can I just transfer where I want to be? And she said, yeah, absolutely. Once you're in the school, you can kind of maneuver around the different, whether it be education, nursing. So I ended up in Michigan and I went to a liberal arts program and did a four-year degree there. Wow. So, so, so you left Michigan. What I found really interesting, because I read about you, buddy, was yep. when you got out of college, you had no intention of getting a job. I always knew I wanted to try my own thing. Now, I graduated at a time when the economy was booming. Dot-com was just booming. So I did have a sales job for about 
three or four years out of college and I did great. I was a good salesman. Um, and to be honest, it helped with the entrepreneurial side. I always knew I wanted to try my own thing. And when I finally did with Barstool Sports, you know, the, jo- the first job I had, they just put a yellow pages in front of me. I had to sell software and they didn't give me any tips. They said, go through and just sell it whoever you can. So it was as rudimentary sales as you could ever have dialing for dollars, cold calling. It was good. It was a good experience. And it helped actually launch parcel because when I started the company, I was able to sell basically a year's worth of advertising for, for nothing. I was selling basically this image of a gambling newspaper, but it wasn't out yet. We had no product, but it was all the sales bath- background. They were really just calling everybody and their mother, you know, until I had enough yeses where I had the money that I knew I could at least survive for a year. So you got out of Michigan. You almost went into the furniture business for a minute, right? So, yeah. So, so I, I, there was a bunch of different ideas that I that I basically had in my mind for Barstool. I knew I wanted to try something. Um, the three concepts I had was Barstool Sports, which was basically a four to eight page gambling fantasy sports newspaper slash rag. The other one was uh, a used furniture company for college students. Every time the semester ends, basically, all you, you go to any college town, there's all this furniture out on the corner that people are throwing away. So my concept was get a huge truck and a warehouse, grab all this furniture for free, store it, and then sell it for pennies on the dollar to all the kids moving in. And they could all find it online. Again, Good it was idea. the dot-com era. So you could go online and look for it. That was one concept. And the third was the scouting concept for uh, basically Division two, Division three athletes. Athletes are students who want to play sports in college but weren't heavily recruited. And coaches, Division three, who may not have huge budgets to recruit, the school doesn't really care if you win or lose, but the coach still wants to win and the kid still wants to play sports in college. So it's a way to connect college coaches with high school athletes, not Division one powerhouse, but people who just want to play sports in college, kind of like myself, like a Division three type caliber athlete. Were you a good athlete? Yeah. Uh, I, I was decent. I was pretty good at baseball. Again, I, you know, I, I wasn't D1, but I certainly could have played Division three or maybe even low Division one baseball. So I, I, I was decent. What'd you play? Uh, baseball. So I played left field in baseball. Uh, I played football a little bit. It hurt my shoulder, but it was primarily baseball. So you could run pretty quick then if you were playing. Yeah, I, was, I was a very fast person. Okay. So you formed Barstool Sports. Now, you and I have something in common. I created Bar HQ, my app, and what I did before I built it is I sold all the advertising to Anheuser-Busch in advance, and then I used their money to build my app, and then I sold it. Sound familiar? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I mean, that's the key and why so many things in my industry, uh, the media, you know, it, it's great to have these ideas and concepts, but if you can't sell it and you're not willing to be the person on the phone, you know, doing the deal – how are you going to survive? So I, I had an advantage over people doing what I was doing in that I really came at it much stronger from the business. Not It wasn't, hey, I want to be a journalist and write funny stories. It was how do I make a business? How do I make this work? And that was the sales. Uh, you know, the newspaper, when I launched it, I was the only employee. And it would say to contact, uh, you know, sales to Joe at Barcel Sports. If you want to contact PR, contact Bill at Barcel Sports. I had all these aliases so people would think we were much bigger than we actually were. So the fact of the matter is being an entrepreneur means you got to knock on doors, make the phone calls. It didn't freaking come easy, did it? No, and I, you know, I'm sure you know this. This is one thing. A lot of people love talking about being an entrepreneur, um, but it, it, 
not everybody wants to do, you know, the heavy lifting that's involved in it. Now, don't get me wrong. I would rather do nothing else. I had no problem waking up. I used to wake up at 5 a.m. every single day, hand out the newspapers at the subway. Uh, I would go home. I would write my articles and stuff like that. And then I'd head back to the subway to hand out the newspapers again. I used to deliver them all myself. It was like a 48-hour paper route where I'd stick them in a van and just drop, drop them off nonstop. It was a bear. I mean, I didn't take a day off for 10 years, but it was the best 10 years. And, and it beat the hell out of when I was working for somebody else before that. Uh, but it's a lot of work, but you got to love it. And I did. So the fact of the matter is it didn't happen overnight. You had to work your butt off to make it happen. And then uh, 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 you started to associate yourself with a number of people around you and you grew out across the country. So you started cash flowing and then you really invested back into the business. Yeah. So, you know, we started in 2004 and I'd say about around 2007, 2008, I was starting to finally say, all right, I may not be rich doing this, but I'm going to be able to carve a living doing something that I enjoy working for myself. And that was the primary goal when I started it. But as Boston started taking off, I said, you know, if I can replicate this in other in other cities, I may really have something. So we started looking for other guys. We found uh Kevin Clancy in New York, Dan, Big Cat, who you obviously know well in Chicago. We found Smitty in Philadelphia. So we started expanding to other cities, trying to replicate the model of what we had here in Boston. Now, these weren't aliases. These were actually people. (laughs) These were real people. Real people. So yeah, now, salaries. So now, absolutely. Now you got salaries. You got benefits. You got all this stuff to worry about. You're a multi-city operation. At that point, or at what point did you realize that you had a multi-million-dollar venture on your hands? Was there ever a moment when you said, "Holy shit! Look at what I've created"? Did yeah, that- you know, it was 2010. So. We had always only done physical events in Boston, the city of Boston. And I wanted to test. I wanted to see how are we doing outside just Metro Boston. So we wanted to do a uh, tour of local colleges, UMass, URI. We went to Quinnipiac. We went to UNH, New Hampshire. Um, so, and I needed a sponsor for it. And all of our sponsors at the time, our advertisers, were for the most part uh, beer companies, liquor companies, and they wouldn't put their name on just doing a party. So I said, well, how can we get, how can we make it so Southern Comfort or Coors Light can advertise or sponsor this tour? I decided music because, you know, they all, the beer companies will put their name on concerts. So we found a local artist and said, we're doing a concert tour. It was 10, uh, six cities. And when we went to these other schools, they were hanging our signs in their windows. We were supposed to do these concerts at venues, like, like 500 cap bar venues. The Mullen Center at UMass, that's where they play basketball. They called me up and they said, hey, Dave, we're getting uh, basically requests for this concert. And we don't know what they're talking about, but we think there's demand for this, for you to move it from a a bar to the actual arena. And we worked out the finances and all that. We put the tickets on sale. It's just the floor of the arena, which is 4,000 people. And we sold out in about an hour. Uh, that that was an eye-opening experience. So that was because, you know, I've had those experiences. Sometimes we don't realize how big our brands are. Like even this podcast, this is sex of this podcast sort of blew me away because it happened so quickly. It's amazing when you have those moments when you realize, wow, this is bigger than I thought. And yep. it, it had a momentum then. You almost couldn't stop it, I bet. 
Yeah, it, it continued to grow, uh, and we've made you know whether it's gut, luck, instinct, luck meets preparation, opportunities when you know luck meets preparation. All those, all those quotes. We continue just to really work hard, find good people, and the momentum continued to grow. Word of mouth. We've never really spent a dime on advertising or anything outside. It's all just true fans of the website telling other people about it. It's, it's really incredible. Then you went through one of the toughest business transitions I ever experienced. When I was running a nightclub and bar media group, we had to shut down our magazines and go into digital. And you yep. had to go through that as well. So you had to shut down the Barstool Sports newsletter and turn into a blogging digital site. Was that a challenge at the time? You know, it was. The biggest challenge, ironically, was a lot of our older advertisers or legacy advertisers were traditional like beer companies, and they were so used to print and radio, we had a hard time transitioning them to digital. Now, I knew that digital was the future for Barstool. It was easy. Uh, the, the primary reason, so much easier to scale. Yep. Like the newspaper, you know, the bigger it gets, you got to print more, you need more trucks, more delivery. It's just very difficult. It's time consuming. It's expensive. Yep. It's hard yep. to do. Um, digital, there's no walls. So it was easier to reach more people faster, more economically. But our old school advertisers didn't totally understand that. And if I physically didn't give them a tear sheet from the newspaper, a copy of their advertisement running in the newspaper, they wouldn't pay their bills. It didn't matter that I knew all the benefit was from talking about it online and putting their ads and events on the Internet. They were so old school that we had to continue to do the paper probably for two to three years only so we could get paid. It's funny. I did the same thing. So you gave them the digital for free, uh, 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 just uh, uh, to transition them. But you had to keep them in a printed publication because uh, uh, they weren't comfortable with digital yet. Yep, and, and it was just they weren't morphing. It's like you know they've been buying that old school way, the print and radio, for so long. They just didn't have the meat. It wasn't set up. And, and the companies that are the size of an Anheuser Busch, it takes a long time sometimes for them to you know move the direction you like and certainly we're small so we're moving at light speed barstool was they weren't always at our speed in certain respects yeah but a lot of that comes back to you dave the fact is do you know how many magazines went broke during that period and couldn't make that transition to digital oh a ton it's uh it's amazing actually even looking back at how many companies are around when we were doing it uh i mean I, there's almost none it's where one of the only ones that kind of prospered out of that era yeah but you, you also yeah. changed your personality when you went digital you became digital meant in a, in a mental kind of sense your communications became different i think you got a little cockier you got a little more controversial didn't you find that the digital envelope let you go a little more so to speak well, yeah, absolutely. And we're in constant contact with our fans, which is something you can't do when you're being published either weekly or biweekly. We started communicating directly and my real personality maybe came out. And, and I'll be honest, I'm not married to anything and continue not to be married to anything with Barstool. I try to use my gut, my instinct and be mobile and be fast and be quick. And if something doesn't work, Okay, let's move to the next. Not everything's going to work, but if you're fast and you, you give things shot, you, you know you find the things that are working. In my personality, the El Prez character, if you want to call it a character, I I never intended for that to be part of 
Barcelona Sports, but it was obvious people were responding to it. So once that became the case, I go with what works, and I dove headfirst into it. So you became <laughs> El Presidente, really, yeah. by the by the desire of your fans more than anything else. Yeah, really. I mean, again, I, that name, I, it was not part of the early newspapers. It was all aliases, and the intent was for people not to know who I was. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. Okay, so you're in Boston. You now got Barstool Sports going a bunch of cities. You got a payroll going. You got some good advertisers. You've struggled through the shift to digital. You're still sort of a content and a sales organization, though, because you're still surviving on sponsor checks, right, to keep payroll going and all of that. And then you get a phone call to sell the company to a large media organization, right? Is that what happened? Yeah, so the churning group. Now, we'd always – got nibbles, whether it be from VCs, angels, it never went very far because our content was always, I would say, risque, on the edge, pushing the envelope. But I believe that was what separated us. It was being authentic and true to the brand. So uh, a guy, Mike Kearns, uh, reached out to me from the churning group, and he used to be at Yahoo. I think he ran sports at yahoo.com. And he had tried to tell Yahoo they should do business with us, and they weren't interested. He left Yahoo, was hired by Churn and Digital. His first call was to me. He said, I'm a fan. I've always been a fan. Uh, are you interested in investment of anything like that? I said, listen, I'll listen to you. I'm always open. And he went, so I talked to him on a Thursday. He lived in San Francisco. On Friday, he was in Boston to talk to me. That in itself spoke volumes to me. I always judge that, by the way, uh, uh, John, how people, when they say they're interested, all right, well, we'll prove it. I mean, I'm here, and he did. So that added a level of credibility. He essentially said, we love the content. If I gave you money or Churning gave you money, what would you do with it? And it was this concept of relocating everybody from the different cities, uh, Dan in Chicago, Kevin in New York, myself in Boston, uh, all under one roof in New York to create the first sort of blog reality company. You know, mix everything, reality TV, blogging, all the things that were at the forefront of emerging technology and internet and, and build what people now know as Barcelona Sports. I made sure I'd have complete editorial control, total content control. A lot of people are like, there's no way Turner would give that to you. They did. So I have final say on everything. And that really, that infusion of capital that they gave us about two and a half, almost three years ago, really, you know, was putting gasoline on us. And we were this engine that was ready to go, but their, their finances, their expertise, and really the help on a lot of things that were just stretched so thin really took Barstool to the next level. You know, it's interesting, El Presidente, you know, uh, people perceive you very much from your media personality and such. A lot of individuals that own a business like you do, their ego would never have permitted them to bring in a big partner like that. Yeah. And you don't have a huge ego, do you? I mean, people say I do. I've said this many times. My goal... So when I started Barstool Sports was not to be famous and it wasn't to be a writer or well-known or personality. It was to make a business, hopefully a very successful one, that I could make a living off. And I am I am not married to any concept idea. If I think something can help the business, I will do what I think will help the business. And I was convinced Churn was the right partner. Um, and it has been, by the way. I, my dad, who's an attorney and old Jewish guy always worries like you're gonna not like partners you gotta watch out for partners they never work um this has worked 
This has been the right partner from the second we did it. I have no regrets. It's been a great three years. And I think they'd say the same about us. We've outperformed every metric. So it's really, uh, you know, if you find the right people, it can be magic. And so far it has been. You know, there's moments that we have as entrepreneurs. I got to buy a jet about uh, 14 months ago. And one night I go to my hangar. And I'm sitting in my jet by myself, and I say, holy shit, I can't believe what I've achieved. You know, it's if I, Yeah, that, that would be the dream because the, the number one thing I think uh, money gets you, and I'm not where you are, is I like private travel. That's, that's the biggest perk to me, I think, to having money. So congratulations to you. I'd like to be there one day. No, but, you know, I'm relating it to the transaction that you did because when you did that transaction, at some point there was a significant check put in your hand, I'm guessing. Or on oh, yeah. paper, something moved. When that happens, and I've had that happen when I sold uh, you know, some restaurants or other things over my career, how did that feel when you went home that night? And I'm sure you looked at it, and I'm sure you can close your eyes and picture it right now because those memories don't go away. What was that moment like to you? Because it was one of my most powerful ever. Yeah, it's surreal. I mean... <laughs> It, it, when I started this, I would have been happy making 50, 60 grand a year, waking <laughs> up, doing something I enjoy. I remember the first advertising check I got was $20,000, and I thought I made it. I framed it. I was so happy. Um, and then as you become more successful, there's milestones all along the way. And even though the money got greater as we got bigger, each of them – each of those models, well, it's the first time I saw I had $100,000 in the bank. The first time I saw I had a million. It's all. They're all surreal. They continue to be surreal. I actually had the, uh, you know, one, one, a blessing. I was able to buy my parents basically their dream house uh, just recently. They're closing on at the end of the month. That's surreal. My mother just cried. So, you know, all from doing something I truly love doing. So it, it and I enjoy my life. So it, that. The fact that I actually am making this much money, getting to talk about things I enjoy talking about, uh, it, it, it is not lost on me how lucky I am for that. So any of you who think <laughs> that you don't have the resources to make or the time to make it, just think of Dave in the, in the subways of Boston, holding those pieces of paper, trying to start his Barstool Sports betting paper, betting sheet. And how far he took it, how the business model changed, it evolved, and he just stayed with it. Tenacity, aggressiveness, getting up early in the morning, hard work. None of that took millions of dollars. It just took a lot of heart from Dave's standpoint. Don't shut down this podcast. John Taffer will be right back. Use BetDSI's live betting platform where you can watch all the events and even bet all the games till the final whistle. And new members get a 100% bonus match using promo code TAFFER101. That's double your money to start winning today. So why would you choose BetDSI? First of all, it's been paying winners for 20 years. It's a top-rated site, and you can use your sports knowledge to make some extra cash this week. It is a really friendly interface. It's got a very cool mobile site, and most important, it's got the fastest payouts in the industry. So, BetDSI offers options for everything. You can bet on NFL, NBA, NHL, boxing, and all other major sports, politics, reality, TV, esports, virtually everything. So, try betting at BetDSI, where you can bet on games from start to finish, every play, every minute until the end. And remember, new members get a 100% bonus match using promo code TAFFER101. That's double your money to start winning today. 
Again, go to BetDSI.com and use promo code TAFFER101 to get this limited-time 100% bonus offer to make some extra cash. Guys, it's only a game to you bet at BetDSI. So we've got a new technology that allows you to communicate directly with the show, and you can do that at anchor.fm slash john-taffer-no-excuses. I'm going to give it to you again because it's really cool to interact with the show using it. It's anchor.fm slash john-taffer-no-excuses. And if that's too complicated for you, which I know it is for some of you, <laughs> then you can just send the note to podcast at johntaffer.com. That's podcast at johntaffer.com. Either way, guys, make sure you reach out to me because I'd love to hear from you. This is no excuses. So when Portnoy started Barstool, he had people all around the country. So there was a big cat in Chicago who had barstoolchicago.com or whatever the hell they called it back then. And then it was another guy in Barstool uh, LA and Barstool New York and Barstool Denver, et cetera. And that's how it existed. And then Portnoy started pulling it all together and trying to turn it into one singular company. And one of the most successful in it was Dan Katz out of Chicago, Big Cat. And Big Cat came and actually stayed with the company. Many drifted away, and and Portnoy and the company wound up buying their pages, I believe, is what happened. But Katz came to New York with Dave Portnoy and really started building the company with them and became one of the biggest stars. And, and Big Cat is a very different personality. You know, it's funny. If you go to Barstool Sports offices in New York, and Big Cat you know, is going to kill me for this, but I'm doing it anyway. The biggest shithole I've ever seen in my life is Dan Cat's office. I mean, there's piles of clothes. I've never seen this before. Piles of clothes, dirty laundry everywhere. It's an incredibly disorganized mess. But I've never seen anybody's office in an office space be a laundry room before until I met Dan Katz and saw his office space. But Dan is gifted because Dan is get Dan. And he really doesn't give a shit about the fact that there's dirty laundry in his office. It means nothing to him. Other things mean things to him. And that's what makes Dan so special and so successful in Barstool. And talking about Dan and how he got there and how he's reacting to his fame now is another great conversation that might inspire us all as we get to the end of this year and think about what are the things that we could do to really elevate ourselves like Dan did and Dave Portnoy did. So here we go. Some of my favorite moments with Dan Katz, Barstool Big Cat. So Dan Katz and I have been friends for how long, Dan? About six years? Yeah, it's been like five or six years, I'd say. I remember you before you were Big Cat. When I met you, you were actually sort of Little Cat. And it was yeah, you- I've yeah, I've gained a little bit of weight in uh, in the past few years. I appreciate you bringing that up. <laughs> so, when you started Barstool Sports, how long ago was that? So Dave Portnoy started Barstool Sports. I think it was about 2005. Uh, I always get that kind of fuzzy. I came on in 2012, so I've been with Barstool and Dave for over six years now. And uh, it's been a crazy ride. It used it started just with Dave doing his thing in Boston, and then he's grown at cities. And he started. I started in Chicago. We had a guy in New York. We had a guy in Philly. We had a guy in D.C. And then, you know, in the last couple of years, we got purchased, and now we're all in New York. And what's amazing is I've got to watch your growth from the beginning. When we first met, we did a burger cook-off with you and Dave at Barney's Beanery in Hollywood. Remember that? Six years ago. 
Yeah, and the funny thing is, when you look at where we're at now and the amount of guests that we have and people, you know, celebrities and, and people we have come through on our podcasts, on radio, on video, it's become kind of second nature that we can get all these guests. And I remember vividly because you were one of the first guys we did anything with. And I walked away from that moment and I said, people were like, what was Taffer like? I was like, what you see is what you get because that guy, he just brings it. And you And I think even, you know, just the judging our uh, the drinks we made – and then when we did the blog rescue, I think the best part about the blog rescue was we told you maybe two sentences. Like, you're like, tell me exactly what you want me to do. And we gave you, like, a little background of, all right, our fans sometimes think that we're uh, lazy and we're not doing a good job. And you're like, all right, got it, good, let's go. And that was it. That's all you needed. Well, it's, it's so easy to beat the hell out of you, buddy, and Dave <laughs> as well. And let's just tell everybody a little bit about Barstool Sports. How many hits does Barstool Sports get online each month about? So I don't know about uh, I don't know the exact number. I know it's obviously well in the millions, and it's been growing over and over. And you know the podcasts have been uh, also in the millions now uh, in terms of our entire podcast network. So we're reaching. You know our our Twitter, our Instagram has a couple million followers. Our Twitter has a million followers. That's just our main account, not not counting all the bloggers who you know half a million, all these other numbers. So. It's it's crazy. And when we first linked up, I probably had 30,000 Twitter followers. So it was that long ago. And it was that, uh, you know, wow. it, it was that at the beginning of our kind of ascent into what we are today and how many people we reach today. So think about this story, Dan, and how it means to, to people today are starting out with YouTube or as bloggers or trying to monetize and create a business online. You guys started with this website that started really about sports but became very much about pop culture because I remember beating you guys up about Bieber when you were doing mm-hmm. Bieber. Why do you think Barstool Sports is so successful? I think it really comes down to the fact that people feel like they know us and we're relatable and we don't really take ourselves too seriously. You see it a lot now, uh, whether it be in the news, whether it be in how sports are presented, the the you know, it's if you look at, uh, say, a sports center or something like that, where they have this huge entire this enormous set and these huge cameras and HD screens. And and you've forgotten that what it's really all about is the connection to the person on TV and the connection you're trying to make with the person who is who is presenting your interest. And so we are, for better or worse, sometimes it's sometimes it's not it's not on purpose. Sometimes it's uh, you know we call it the barstool difference around here where we screw up, where we make mistakes, where we do low rent stuff, uh, and and that's that's it sometimes can get frustrating. But at the end of the day, we the way we produce content is. We, if we have a funny idea, we bring it out there. You know what I think is incredible about you guys, how you took nothing and turned it into something that's so substantial and worth millions and millions of dollars now. It's really an incredible story. So I want to yes. talk to you about something that I've never talked about publicly before. You've done recon on Bar Rescue for me now twice. Is that right? Yep, twice. And you've been on set. You've seen the show. You've seen the interaction with cast members. When I invited you to Bar Rescue to do recon for the first time, I know you had no idea what to expect. What was that like? It was a thrill. And it was, um, I think it was in Country Club Hills, Chicago, outside of Chicago. And it was, uh, I showed up and I didn't realize just how, like, cool the whole experience was going to be. And it lived up to it in every every way. 
And also just seeing, so first one, I was able to come back and to be able to see how how downtrodden that bar was and then what you had made it into in a couple days was incredible. And I saw it with my own eyes. I ate dinner the second time I came back and I actually trusted the food. You know, the first <laughs> time was, was a big time gamble. So seeing that evolution so fast was such a cool experience. And uh, like I said, everyone ever everyone asked me, and it's like, yeah, Taffer, like, oh, Taffer's acting. No, Taffer doesn't act. Taffer is Taffer. He is he is like he is like that all the time. He is, you know, if, if he's talking, if he's yelling, if he's trying to tell you something, you're glued in because he has that type of personality. And it was real, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. And and we did the second one was uh, with Chris Long in St. Louis, and yep. I'll tell you what. The Jello shot that I had, the pudding shot, that was very real, and it was very disgusting. <laughs> the brisket nachos, very real, very disgusting. So, 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 be my buddy and tell everybody right now, straight out: Is Bar Rescue scripted? No, I did not. Nothing that I saw was scripted. I what? saw the real anger. I saw the real people work there. Like those are, the, I knew those were the real people that worked there. I saw the regular customers when I was in there. There was nothing that was scripted that I saw at all. I get a clean bill of health from you, buddy. Bar Rescue is real as an endorsement from Big Cat at Barstool Sports, right? Yes, absolutely. Always, always. You you know I always got your back, even though I think uh, you're crazy. <laughs> I think you're the crazy one. So, Barstool Sports, what's next for you? Um, I think really what's next is just finding new ways to make our fans laugh and find new fans out there because I think there are a ton of people out there that – uh, would enjoy what we do if they knew more about us, and that's the goal every single day. Yeah, that's a good goal, buddy. So what's next for you personally? So you're not married yet. You're still nope. a diehard sports fan. You're hooked to your TV, your radio, watching sports all the time. What are you personally missing? I mean, think about this, what you've achieved. You know, you, you've built this company. You've been a major part of it. You've built a great brand for yourself online and off. You now have two identities as Dan Katz and as Big Cat. So you've personally set yourself up with, with a, a direction that you could take that's very different from, I'm guessing, what you've ever planned on doing before. What do you want to do personally that you haven't done before? Can I say money? Can I say actually cash in on some money? Sure. So is you that, want to turn this a, into some cash? Answer? No, that's yeah, a I good mean, answer. I, no, uh, yeah, I think eventually I would like to fulfill, you know, some of the dreams in that respect, having financial independence. The way I look at it is I have, you know, a set amount of years, kind of like an athlete, where I can be in this content grind, in this world that kind of, you know, it's a lot. It takes a lot of pressure, but it's a lot of fun, a lot of fun. And I have only so many more years left in it, so that's really the focus. And it's kind of put your head down and do everything that's asked of me and, and try new things, you know, whether it be TV, whether it be uh, other radio, anything that comes across that I think would be fun that would help us grow, I'm in for. So that's really, if I'm being totally honest, that's really what I'm focused on. So the fact of the matter is you're just in, Dan, aren't you, buddy? Yeah, you're just very in. in. And that's why you're successful. So think about this. You start a blog, you start a website, you turn it into a radio show, you turn it into a very successful podcast and now a national brand. Think of all the young people that would love to follow in your footsteps that are trying to launch businesses like this online. Dan, let's make this a teachable moment. What is the one lesson that you've learned that, that you want to share with everybody who's looking at your career path and saying, boy, I'd like to be able to do that? 
I would say the one thing, and I, I tell this to people when they ask me, it's uh, you got to be reliable and you have to be a dog when it comes to your work ethic. And I know that, that that sounds cliche, but what has happened with sports media in this world and with Twitter and how anyone could start a podcast, a blog, talent will rise. And you you have, if, if you are committed to it, if you wake up every day and you say, I'm going to try to produce some some form of content for my audience, whether it be five people or, or 5,000 people or 500,000 people, you getting up and saying, I'm going to produce this every single day and people being able to start relying on you knowing that you're going to produce every day, that's what it's all about. And if you're talented and you're unique and you got a point of view that people want to hear, it will rise and someone will notice. Anyone can be out there and be successful as long as they put in a lot of work. It's not easy. You got to put in a ton of hours. You look at Dave. Dave put in hours and hours and years. Anyone else? Kevin, KFC, who's here? You know, K. Marco, Feidelberg, any of the guys, even PFT, who who's had a whole, you know, years before he came to Barstool. Any of the guys who kind of you look at and they're like maybe the the OG crew, the guys who've been around for a long time. There were a lot of years that were put into it. There was a lot of writing, a lot of mastering of the craft to get to a point. So it's not going to happen overnight, but it can happen for sure if you want it enough. So the fact of the matter is Dan Katz is not a lucky son of a bitch. He's a really hard-working guy who made this happen. Fair. Yeah, luck. listen, luck always, you always have to have a little luck, but uh, what, what's the old saying? Isn't there a saying like hard work beats luck when luck runs out or something like That's that? That's right. That's a good I might have made that up. I might have made it up. But, you know, we share something in common. This didn't come easy for me either, buddy. You know, you think of all the hours on the road. Fact of the matter is success is hard, and you've proven it. And now you're turning the corner of great wealth and more success than you've ever realized. Well, there you go. Anybody who ever said to themselves, I can't do it, I don't have the time, I don't have the resources, I'm not passionate about anything, just think about Dave's story. Or Dan Katz's story. It's the fact of the matter is two of them are incredible guys who just worked really hard to get where they got. But they also, and this is key, stayed true to themselves. And each of them are so different personality-wise. But each one, through authenticity, created something around them that people flocked. And look at Portnoy, how authentic he is. Look at Dan, how authentic he is. And I might say I'm pretty authentic myself. If I wasn't true to myself, I wouldn't be successful on television and you wouldn't be listening to me today. So how do we excel and still be true to ourselves? That's the key. Well, I'm pretty excited about these podcasts for the rest of this week. Next week, we have our No Excuses Best of Sports featuring <laughs> Ryan Reeves. Uh, uh, one of the toughest guys in all of hockey, Sean Lights Out Merriman, and some more. So don't miss next week's podcast as we finish up the year with some of the best-themed podcasts of my favorite moments of what we've been doing together for this past year and a half. So have a great, great week. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. And don't forget, subscribe right now. Do it right now, any place where you subscribe to your podcasts.